You're listening to the official podcast of Asbury University, produced by students with God-honoring conversations that inform, edify, and encourage. This is Asbury. We explore culture and current topics through a Christian worldview, promoting a well-balanced life, and we empower our community to belong, become, and be set apart. I'm your host, Abby Lobb. Welcome to This is Asbury. to the podcast. So today we're going to talk about the notion of set apart and what does this mean. So th- this is a fun topic to talk about because it feels so aspirational. And, you know, when I was a kid, these little go against the flow t-shirts were popular. I'll never forget. There was this little tiny fish. He was swimming upstream against all of these big, ugly, mean looking fish. And for me as, you know, an eight or nine year old, this was just a very simplified worldview statement, but it's always stuck with me. Because as Christians, we are going to look different, or at least we hope we're going to look different. We're going to be set apart. So I'm excited to dive into this topic with you and let our listeners just hear your heart about this topic and what it means both for our students and for people who are listening. So let's talk about this. This has many connotations depending on who you ask. So in your own life, what does that mean to be set apart? That's a great question. Yes, being set apart can carry a kind of pretentious tone. And this is obviously not what (laughs) we're going after. When I think about this, I think about Philippians 3, and Paul talks about a people whose citizenship is in heaven. And I think if we are truly committed to that citizenship, first and foremost, and we let our allegiance to a heavenly kingdom with a heavenly Savior dictate our self-understanding, our beliefs, values, practices— shaping, governing, and guiding how we organize our lives, we will be different. We will be difficult to categorize. We'll be set apart. Yeah. And that can be a difficult concept depending on where you are in life. So for students, how do you want them to internalize this idea that they're called to be set apart? So I would start by saying this. We all have some moral vision that guides our lives and how we relate to one another in society. We all have an idea of the proper way to see the world, or we have some way to see the world. Jonathan Haidt argued in his 2012 best-selling book, The Righteous Mind, he said, there is no neutral ground. We are all beholden to an underlying moral vision that animates our political beliefs, establishes our values, governs our actions, et cetera. So at different times and places, different societies, cultures, our moral narratives have these shared core elements, sacred and profane, higher and lower, these ethical matrices that inform our evaluative judgments and shape our activism. Story frameworks tell us what's valuable and worthy of our commitment. And importantly, we're all inescapably governed by a story, like some mental map that frames our imaginative landscape and colors our perspective of the world. The sociologist Christian Smith Uh, wrote a famous book. He says, we are moral, believing, narrating animals with lives constituted by moral orders that define and direct social action. There is no opting out, he says. We inescapably inhabit social worlds that are thickly webbed with moral beliefs and commitments. I love how he puts that. The theologian Sarah Coakley says, theology is always a recommendation for life. 
So I think we all kind of operate with some kind of theology, some kind of recommendation for life running in the background, even if we don't recognize that or call it that. And the Christian story sees humans as fundamentally teleological, just meaning we have a purpose. We're created with some ends, created by a deliberate creator. And among other things, this story fosters a kind of self-skepticism, the problem of sin. It impels love of neighbor. It locates human flourishing in our participation in the life of God. There's a theologian, he says, there are good desires and there are bad desires. And we have to know a telos, uh, again, this word teleological, we need a telos to know the difference. We need to know what our purpose is to know what's a good desire, what's a bad desire. And I think that's why St. Augustine defined virtue as rightly ordered love, to attune our affections to elevated things. I would say in being set apart, I want our students to locate themselves in this story and let that story, let that meta narrative define everything else they do, how they perceive the world and how they faithfully act within it. Yeah. Well, at Asbury, we have a unique opportunity for students in their first four semesters uh, as a student to attend set-apart retreats. And this is where they learn about a lot of these things you're describing. You know, they learn about biblical worldview, and then they just go deeper in their faith. And it just helps, you know, that they're at really cool places like Colorado or the beach. It's great. It's just a really nice chance for them to get away off campus with people who are really pouring into them. So tell me about those. And have you been on one? I have. We just recently went on one. It was amazing. My wife and I also have had lunches with students returning from these retreats to hear about their experiences. They are truly transformative. So, yes, these retreats exist to get students off of our campus and to really get them thinking carefully about what it means to take this Christian narrative seriously and to see that redefining every single dimension of their life and it's also a place to forge and deepen relationships with other students and to have a lot of fun, as, as you put it, in a really cool and often warm uh, location. Yeah, especially, you know, in February in Wilmore. <laughs> I need to get on one of those trips. <laughs> so in closing, Set Apart, you mentioned this before, um, it almost sounds isolating in a way, at least from a worldly perspective. Obviously, we know that it, that's not the intention, especially for people, you know, our deepest desire really is to fit in and be loved. So what does being set apart and also living in community look like? And how would you challenge our students and listeners to live this way? So let me share just a few things. I think of the Sanctus. That was an early liturgical hymn of the early church, and it comes from the book of Isaiah. And you've heard it, holy, holy, holy Lord. And one theologian said a modern interpretation would be different, 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 or other, other, other. So when I say set apart, we are aiming to reflect God's character of being holy, different, other, set apart. So for example, for our students, this might mean being set apart in our, our competency and our effectiveness, being excellent in what we do, being set apart in our orientation to others, this kind of reflex or instinct to serve others set apart in our kingdom identity, in our heavenly citizenship. I've said several times, the most significant political statement we make as Christians is this, Jesus is Lord. And set apart in holy living in our meaning and morality. There is no greater compliment that I hear 
about our students and, and about our school than when I hear your students are different. Dr. Jim Owens, the, the dean of our media communications department, told a story of being at the Beijing Olympics with our students. We do this every two years. And someone just pulled him aside and said, what's the deal with Asbury? And he's like, what do you mean? Your students are different. What are you guys doing? Your students are different. I was at a church a little over a year ago in Houston. It's a really large church. And one of the pastors there said, you know, we hire a lot of students, but your students are different. We had a, a reporter from a Lexington group. Thank you, Abby. I think you were responsible for that. And they had come to our campus to shoot a story. And I was walking with this woman and she said, you know, I'm really excited to come to your campus. I've never been here before, but we employ your students. Your students are different. I just recently shared, we received an email last winter from a referee, and they had watched one of our basketball games with our women's basketball team. And he said, I have officiated thousands of games. I have never seen a team demonstrate the kind of virtue and character your women's team has. Your students are different. Let me end with this, and it's something I've shared before. I think it's worth sharing again. So in an earlier podcast, I said that education is not just about what you know or what you can do. It's also about what you love. But the, the holy coordination, if you will, between your head, your hands, your heart, this isn't just about believing what you're supposed to believe or doing what you're supposed to do or desiring what you're supposed to desire because you're a Christian. We earnestly believe it's life itself. And I share this in, in Luke 10. Remember this, the lawyer asked Jesus about eternal life, and Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus gives this answer. He says, you've given the right answer. But then he says, do this, and you will live. You will live. I've mentioned also in an earlier podcast, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are those who, who have an appetite for a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. And when we think of the Sermon on the Mount, the best descriptions of the Sermon on the Mount is, is in my eyes, found in the words of John Wesley. He said, it's as if Jesus is saying, behold, I'm showing you the thing which your soul longeth for. Not I'm telling you the things you have to believe to be a Christian. Not I'm showing you the actions you have to perform to get into heaven or to avoid hell. I'm showing you the thing which your soul longs for. This is what Augustine was saying in Confessions. You've made us for yourself. Restless are our hearts until they find their rest in thee. And Jesus, I think, is saying this to us today. You will live. I will give you the things your soul longs for. Your restlessness will come to an end. You'll be filled. You'll be satisfied. You won't be hungry. You won't be thirsty. I'll meet you in your fears. I'll be present in your tragedy. I am what is certain in an uncertain world. I don't change. So shalom and flourishing, identity, fulfillment, meaning, joy, purpose, significance, hope, you will live. There is 
uh, a really wonderful stanza from that great hymnist John Newton, and he, he wrote a Amazing Grace, but in one of his other hymns, the stanza is, Be gone in belief, my Savior is near, for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. I find myself repeating that often <laughs> because we're in a hard moment. There are so many challenges for our country and many of the uncertainties and anxieties. I've said before, these are just asymmetrically felt by younger generations. They're just difficult days ahead, but the abundant life is ahead too. It's here for the taking. So we don't aim towards being set apart for its own sake. We earnestly believe it is life itself the good life, the abundant life. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of This is Asbury. To learn more about Asbury University, visit asbury.edu.